3: This is Wins and Losses with Clay Travis. Clay talks with the most entertaining people in sports, entertainment, and business. Now, here's Clay Travis.
4: Welcome in. Clay Travis Wins and Losses podcast where we dive into a lot of different angles of stories, sports, politics, business, you name it. A lot of them. I'd encourage you to go check them out if you enjoy this one. We're about to talk with the former Sacramento Kings television announcer of 32 years, Grant Napier, as well as a 26-year local radio host in Sacramento. He lost his job for saying all lives matter uh, during uh, this past summer. And so we're going to dive into that with him and also his career. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And with that in mind, let's bring in Grant. I want to start here because I just I don't know a lot about your background, but how did you end up as the voice of the Sacramento Kings in the first place? How long did you do that job? Let's kind of start back at the beginning. So first of all, thanks for coming on. Secondly, how did you get into sports?
3: Clay, first of all, it's great to be on your show. Uh, I grew up outside of New York on Long Island and grew up uh, with. You know, really an amazing sports background. We had season tickets for the Jets and the Giants growing up. I was literally at an NFL game every single Sunday. I would go to Rangers games at Madison Square Garden, go to college games. And so uh, I knew really at uh, about age. Nine or ten that I wanted to be a broadcaster. I used to listen to Marv Albert do the Knicks and the Rangers on radio, especially when the Knicks won their championship in '69, '70. And after listening to Marv do those games, I was like, "That's what I wanted to do." And so I just kind of worked my way up the ladder. I worked in, uh, went to college at Bowling Green on a, a lacrosse scholarship. Uh, they had a really good radio TV program, and then I got a full time job in Decatur, Illinois, for three years, and went from Decatur to uh, Sacramento. Moved to Sacramento as a sports director at a local TV station there in 1987, and then in 1988, uh, the TV station won the rights to do the Kings games, and I was in the right place at the right time, Clay, and I uh, ended up doing the Kings on TV for 32 years, and during that span, I was fortunate enough to do the Raiders preseason games on TV for five years. I filled in and did some Sharks games, did a lot of college football, so you know, in a quick kind of capsule, that, that's my background to get to the point that I did to be able to do the Sacramento Kings for so long.
4: So that's wild. Let, let's go into that for a little bit. 32 years of doing television broadcast of Sacramento Kings games. What was your favorite time to be working and covering the team? Was it, unfortunately, the Tim Donahue years when uh, when you had that series against the Lakers and the, that was so incredibly riveting that people go back and look at the calls that were made? Was that the peak? Who were the players? What was the era that you enjoyed the most?
3: There are two areas that I really enjoyed the most. The first was when I first started doing it in 1988 because I was still relatively young and to go to the great Western forum. And my first game ever was up in Portland and they had Terry Porter and Clyde Drexler and Jerome Kersey and, you know, Buck Williams and Kevin Duckworth and up in Portland, that was the first game I ever did. And then going on the road to Madison square garden, where I grew up or going into the old Boston garden and, and just those venues to me, that was so special, but obviously there was nothing quite like the early two, 2000s when you had you know Mike Bibby and you had Pau Stoyakovich and you had Vladi Dvach and you had Chris Webber and Rick Adelman was the coach and you you mentioned Tim Donaghy the the um, again a lot of people call it a conspiracy uh, honestly Clay I don't but to this day Game Six of the 2002 Western Conference Finals is to again to this day considered the worst officiated game uh, in NBA history and then of course in Game Seven the Kings were at home they worked all year to get the number one seed and they missed fourteen free throws on their home court in Game 7. You certainly can't blame the referees for that, and uh, they ended up losing in overtime to the Lakers. But those were really the highlights for me, that era. And what was great for me back then, uh, I did a lot of the playoff games on radio because the Kings radio announcer uh, did a lot of indie car racing and he was always at the Indianapolis 500 in May so in addition to doing the games on TV I got a chance to announce most of those playoff games against the Lakers on radio Uh, and those were some phenomenal games in that series those I'll remember those obviously forever
4: 32 years doing games with the Sacramento Kings how would you say your relationships were with players over those 32 years in general
3: a lot of the players uh, over the 32 years today are still some of my very good friends. Uh, Many of them have reached out to me. Uh, over the last couple of months, particularly in June, when all of this went down, I would say in 32 years, I had problems with three players, one being DeMarcus Cousins, uh, another being uh, Chris Weber. Uh, those were two of the players that had uh, some issues with me, but I've had great relationships over the years. First of all, you wouldn't have been able to last for 32 years if you didn't have great relationships with not only the players, but the coaches, the general managers, the ownership changes so you know I'm not bragging here but that's just the reality of the situation If, if you're doing something that long you're obviously doing something right but I mean I play golf with a lot of the former Kings players again a lot of the former players have reached out to me and to this day some of them are some of my best friends in life.
4: So let me go back a little bit too for people out there who may not think about it, I'm presuming most of the time you're traveling on, for instance, the team plane, right? When you're going and calling Correct. those games, you don't travel Correct. separate. So you guys Correct. are interacting on a day-to-day basis in a way that your average person who covers a team doesn't, right? Like it's not like you're a beat writer. You're almost a Correct. part of the team as much as you are traveling. You know these guys well.
3: I am a part of the team. I'm paid by the team. Uh, What made my job maybe more challenging and or um, difficult is I also hosted a radio show in Sacramento on the Kings flagship station for 26 years. So not only was I doing the games, but then the next day I'd be on the radio for four hours talking about that and the NFL and everything else. But yes, I was a part of the team other than my wife and my kids. I consider the Sacramento Kings my family. I mean, it's probably with... The personnel on the Kings more than I was with my family on, on the planes, checking in and out of hotels, on the buses to the games. Very often, uh, I'd be out having meals with some of the players. Uh, I mean, that was life on the road. And so it was family. But you know this. This is what you do for a living. There are times when you have to go on the radio and criticize. And if you don't, you're going to lose your credibility. And a couple of the players that had very thin skin, such as DeMarcus Cousins, they had a real problem with being criticized, but I was just doing my job. And so... That's just part of the deal, but yeah, I was fan that that's my family the sacramento kings for thirty two years were really my extended family and yes that's you, you it would be impossible not to form lifelong friendships and bonds with players and coaches and that's just um it would be impossible to do that job clay and and not have lifelong relationships from from that entire for spanning five decades starting in nineteen eighty eight with me
4: Okay, so this goes on, like you said, 32 years of doing Sacramento Kings games, 26 years of doing local radio. Are the players that are upset with you, you said maybe like three guys over the years, are they primarily upset for things you'd say on radio, or were they upset about things you'd say on television, or do you even have any idea?
3: Chris Webber, if you go to YouTube, uh, anyone that's listening can go to YouTube and Google, uh, you know, Chris Webber on the Grant Napier show or Grant Napier phone call with Chris Webber. TNT was in town seven years ago doing a game, and the Kings were not very good, and so they weren't on TNT very often, uh, you know, in the last decade or so. And the, uh, the broadcast crew was Kevin Harlan, Chris Weber, Reggie Miller, and Cheryl Miller was the sideline reporter. And the King, the game was on a Thursday, and on Tuesday the Kings had just had a big city council meeting, and the city council voted uh, in a, in a positive way. For a new arena. And Cheryl Miller interviews Kevin Johnson in the middle of the game, the mayor of Sacramento, former NBA player. And she says, now that the city council voted down on the arena, what are you going to do now? And Kevin goes, no, 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 Cheryl. We voted for the new arena okay and they can't. then they throw it back to the desk and Reggie Miller goes once a politician always a politician and Chris Webber who's got his jersey number 4 hanging up in the rafters went along with it and said yeah it's really a shame i've been in town for 2 days and everyone's really upset and blah 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 and again that's also available on youtube so the next day I had my producer reach out and Chris used to do a daily, uh, a weekly radio show with me when he played in Sacramento. I said, call up Chris and get him on the air. We need to talk about this because the fans were irate. I was yeah. irate. And I said, make sure that he knows why he's coming on. Chris comes on my show and we joke because he's a big Lions fan. I'm a big Giants fan and we, he starts off with a joke. And then I say, Chris, I've got to ask you, you know, how is it that everyone on TNT got that so wrong last night? And he went off and he would not allow me to talk and he basically threw it on me how i'm negative how i'm critical and i begged him while we were on the air i said chris don't hang up chris don't hang up chris don't hang up and he hung up the phone and it's all there on youtube and since that day we've never spoken a word and he's had an act to grind with me unfortunately
5: okay
4: so well, before we get into what happened in june I've a lot of people out there listening to us right now, they don't really know the Sacramento, California market. We're on nationwide. Everybody knows maybe their local geography, their local region. What do the Kings mean to the people of Sacramento? So far as you could tell, based on 32 years as the voice of the Kings and 26 years doing local radio in that in that city,
3: everything. The Kings are everything to the sports fan in Sacramento. Even when they were horrible, the place would be full every night. The Kings almost moved uh, on a couple of occasions and the outpouring of emotion, the fans, everything they did to try to keep that team was absolutely incredible. The Sacramento Kings are sacramento it is the only show in town and um it's kind of similar to living in a big-time college football town where people can't wait for the basketball season to start they talk about it in the off season they're they're just obsessed with the team in sacramento and uh, three years ago they got a beautiful brand new arena downtown and people were so excited and they still are but um it it, it, it's unbelievable clay i mean i i would compare it to the way the blazers fans are up in portland i think it's very similar there but uh, the king's support over the years has been tremendous because again small community clay and it is the only show in town
4: it's interesting because a lot of people out there they think of california and they think of la and they think of san francisco and they may think to a certain extent of san diego but Sacramento, to your point, is more of a small town, even though it's in a big state, right? I'm just trying to contextualize oh, yes. the, the environment and, uh, and the, uh, the city for people out there who may not have been
3: before. It is. It's, it's basically a, a small town compared to the uh, other cities that you just mentioned. And they love their kings. They, they have had uh, so many years of failure year after year after year. And again, I talked about the the turbulent times when the Malou family owned the team and they ended up selling it to Seattle only to have, you know, it's a it's a shame they did a 30 for 30 on it and it never aired because of the allegations that were released, I think by deadspin back then on, on mayor Kevin Johnson it was real sh- shame because I got a chance to go to the, uh, Tribeca film festival where the 30 for 30 was called down in the Valley. So matter of fact, the director Jason Hare th- is the same director. They just did the last dance, but uh, it oh, wow. was just an incredible story on, on the whole Sacramento Kings. And I was featured, a lot in that documentary um i don't know if you remember the video but jason Hare told me the director of of the 30 for 30 that unfortunately was not released he said the reason why he started the idea of the documentary in the 30 for 30 is because of me breaking down on tv at the end of the king's lakers game uh with my broadcast partner jerry reynolds when we felt that was going to be the last game ever played in sacramento And he said that he saw me break down on camera at the end of the game. And everyone behind us was chanting, Grant and Jerry, Grant and Jerry. The fans wouldn't leave the game. And he said that's where he got the idea to do the 30 for 30. So, you know, again, this isn't about me, but I'm just trying to paint the picture here. The fans of Sacramento, the Sacramento Kings and the fans, the fans have always felt a part of the team. They've always been able to reach out. They have so many opportunities. The Kings are very good about making their players accessible they have so many events where the community is allowed to go to the arena on an off day and and partake in festivities with the players it's a very unique situation i think and that the kings have always done a great job with allowing their fan base access to their product and it, the bond has been great uh, really for ever since i was there in 19 i moved there in 1987 um, i've never really seen anything like it in the nba
4: we're talking to Grant Napier. All right, so all of this background, 32 years as on television with the Sacramento Kings, uh, live television, by the way, 26 years, live radio, no issues. Everything seems to be going pretty well. June, what happens?
3: Well, uh, I was sitting on my couch on May 31st, and I'm watching the riots, and I'm watching everything going on, and I'm like, man, I, this is just awful. And um, I picked up my phone, and I saw that there was a message to me from DeMarcus Cousins asking me uh, how I felt Uh, How do I feel about BLM? And, you know, just to give you a real quick background, my dad was a civil rights activist. My brother taught math for 34 years at a predominantly black high school on Long Island Island in New York. I started a foundation in the early 2000s. It's called the Future Foundation. We've sent over 100 kids to college, and we mentor them. Many of these students are uh, minorities, one-third are black. And I hate telling you because I hate putting – People in groups have never been about putting people in groups. To me, a person's a person. And I responded, all lives matter, every single one. And I didn't think anything of it because that's how I feel. That's how I was raised. That's that's how I was brought up. I believe all lives matter, every single one. And I emphasized every single one with, I think, three exclamation points. And... uh, All of a sudden, within 15 or 20 minutes, I knew that things were blowing up, and when I woke up on Monday morning, um, I was in the middle of a crisis, and by Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time, uh, my career, as I knew it, in Sacramento as a TV announcer for the Kings and as a 26-year talk show sports host on radio was gone.
4: So this day, you you send a tweet that says, all lives matter, every single one. What day of the week did you send that, Friday?
3: Sunday, May 31st.
4: Sunday, May 31st, and by you lose your job when?
3: Tuesday between 2.30 and 3 p.m. Pacific time. So both your radio
4: job and your Kings announcer job, you lose both of those because you said on Twitter, all lives matter, every single one.
3: That's correct. Within, four, within 48 hours, my career as I knew it in Sacramento did not exist anymore.
4: I mean, I think there's a lot of people out there listening right now that are going to hear this and they're going to say, that can't be the entirety of this. But from your perspective, you had a job, you were going to be working, and you sent a tweet that said all lives matter, every single one, and within 48 hours, your 32-year career on television and your 26-year career on radio are over?
3: That's correct. That is absolutely correct. And, you know, that's June 2nd, and I can't even begin to tell you what that period of time was like for me and as we fast forward now to the middle of november as i talk to you i've just been amazed that so many news outlets Uh, I I saw myself being talked about on Fox. I saw myself being talked about on CNN. Bill Maher did a five minute uh, segment on cancel culture, I think back in August. And I was included on that. And I'm just, you know, the New York Post, I can go on and on and talk about like people are using me as an example of what's wrong with our country and cancel culture. And I said this, and I started a podcast back in October. And my first episode, I said, the problem with our country right now, Clay, is that nobody wants to spend five minutes before they cancel someone, nobody wants to spend five minutes, peel back the layers and look at an individual, look what they've done. And it's, it's such a shame. Um, it's such a shame that uh, it, forget about me for a minute. It's such a shame what's gone on in our country with cancel culture. There are so many good people that have just been boom erased in, a, in an instant. And nobody wants to peel back the layers and examine the individual.
1: are compounded products and have not been approved by the FDA. The FDA does not verify the safety or effectiveness of compounded drugs. Hey guys, it's Steve Covino from Covino and Rich here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck You buy Toyota Dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit BuyAToyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.
2: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake
5: City Branch. Subject to credit approval.
2: Terms apply.
5: Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree.
0: Like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat.
3: Visit NHTSA.gov
0: slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.
4: This is Clay Travis. You're listening to the Wins and Losses podcast. We are talking with our guest, Grant Napier. Okay, in the space of 48 hours after you send a tweet that says, all lives matter, every single one with three exclamation points, you lose your entire career, what was the private reaction? You know everybody, you know a lot of people really well in the NBA with the amount of time that you spend in the league, coaches, players, uh, executives. What was their private reaction versus what the public reaction was? Because I can give you what I bet the answer is. I bet privately a lot of people said this is very wrong. I bet publicly very few of them said
3: it. You are 100% correct. Uh, Privately, I've kept every single voicemail. I've kept every single text message. I have uh, kept a diary of every single person that called me. And privately, the reaction was unbelievably supportive. Uh, Former players, uh, some current players, former coaches, former executives, um, I can go on and on. Many, 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 many of my colleagues around the NBA, both local and national announcers, uh, I, like you, have developed, you know, quite a bit of, uh, contacts through the National Football League and the National Hockey League. I received calls from people in no sports. Uh, privately, it was absolutely Unbelievable. It was uh, incredible. Publicly, because everybody was so scared of losing their jobs or being labeled, there was nothing publicly. There was nobody. And I had had so many of my colleagues call me up and say, Grant, I can't believe this. This is so wrong. And they would say, I just want you to know I can't say anything publicly. And I would say, I get it. I completely understand. You don't want to be labeled. You don't want to lose your job. You're fearful. Uh, you You can't speak how you honestly feel, because if you do, the same thing's going to happen to you that happened to me. And so publicly, it was silence, just absolutely silence.
4: And that's what's so overwhelmingly staggering about cancel culture in general is almost everyone knows it's wrong. And yet people are so afraid that the mob is going to come after them that they're not even willing, by and large, to speak out and say this is wrong, right? Because they're afraid that they're going to be the next target, which is how these mobs get their power. It's fear, right? It's fear that is overwhelming. This is is why I think this is a significant conversation we're having because your story comes in sports, but there are a huge percentage of people out there. And by the way, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, gay, straight, religious, not really, doesn't really ma- matter. There's a huge percentage of the American population that lives in fear that they are a Facebook message, an Instagram message, a tweet in your case, away from losing everything. You had 32 years of television games to your background, 26 years of radio and sending all lives matter every single one, you lose all of that within 48 hours.
3: Yeah, and I can't speak specifically about my departure with the Kings, but what I would say is that I had many conversations with colleagues that are currently broadcasters in various sports, and they would call me up and we would speak for an hour, and they would go, Grant, I am so nervous to go on the air. Yeah, I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. I'm like you're kidding me, and they go, no, I'm really. These are these are people that have been doing this for for fifteen, twenty, twenty five years. I was having a conversation with professional broadcasters. Yes. And so you know this when you when you're on live, you're on live. You you know everything's spontaneous. Like I don't have a script. I'm not writing things down. I'm just spontaneous when I talk on the air. And I have and when you're announcing a game, you're you're you're, you're ad living the whole game. You don't you don't have time to look. You're not writing anything down and then reading it when you're broadcasting a live event. And I would have. My colleagues go, man, I'm really nervous. I'm nervous about going on the air and saying something that I shouldn't, even though it would be innocent. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm talking to my colleagues, how awful is this that we live in a society now in 2020 where you have to be now paranoid about going on the air because you're afraid that you're going to say something that's going to be misconstrued. I mean, how sad is that, Clay? It's
4: terrifying. It's terrifying. I mean, and, and I think it's also emblematic of larger issues. Look, I don't care about anybody's politics. I came out and said I was voting for Donald Trump. And I said one reason I voted for Donald Trump was because I am completely opposed to cancel culture. And I see cancel culture continuing to get more and more control in this country on a day-to-day basis. Grant, the number of people in my industry, I just want you to think about this for a minute. I am on air on Fox uh, Fox FS1 on television daily. I am the only person at Fox Sports, at CBS Sports, at ABC slash ESPN, or at NBC Sports that I'm aware of that is an employee that goes on the air and talks about sports who has said that, that he or she is voting for Donald Trump. Only one, Right. 70-some-odd million people voted for the president of the United States. Maybe Joe Biden is going to be the next president of the United States. That's fine. It doesn't really matter to me. Sometimes my candidates win. Sometimes they lose. But how crazy is it that no one else in all of sports is willing to say that they're voting for Donald Trump in my profession of sports media? I'm the only one. It's not because I'm the only one. You talk about the private conversations. When I said that I was voting for Trump, My phone blew up. People that all of you know that are listening to me right now, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, people who watch you watch on television, you read, a ton of them reached out and said, I'm doing the same thing, but I am terrified to say it publicly because in our industry, I could get in trouble for having that opinion. And your opinion, all lives matter every single one, that is supposed to be the reason you're fired, I'm assuming, because people decided that was a racially insensitive thing to say. Is that right? Like that was uh, racially 100%. insensitive, right?
3: That's correct. Racially insensitive. That's I can only I can only guess that. How else could it be? I mean, all lives matter, every single one. You help me out here. How is that a racist comment? I mean, I, I, I don't understand that. I, I really don't. And I'll, I'll take that to my grave. All lives matter. Every single one is deemed by some as racist. You know, I still have people that reach out to me or strangers and they go, you still don't get it. And my response is, no, I don't think you get it. I get it completely. Okay. I had my life completely turned upside down. I said, I don't think you get it when I have people say that to me. They go, Grant, you know, you still don't get Or I see comments on whatever. And people go, well, gee, you know, I, I listen to Grant's podcast and he talked about this. And boy, he still doesn't get it. And I go, no, you don't get it. I think I get it fine. I think I have a complete understanding. I, and I said this to my wife. And, you know, again, I, I'm not, I'm not like patting myself on the back here, but this is how my family lives our life. My wife went to Zambia with a couple of ladies last summer for two weeks, okay? Went to Zambia to help out women and children in that country and ended up having a phenomenal relationship with a lady over there and ended up having the lady come to California in January of this year and live with her sister for one week and live with us one week to show her the American culture, show her life in a different part of the country. And just like the experiences that that's how my family lives. You know, I talked about my brother. I talked about my father, you know, not to get off on attention here in 1963. My father, um, got 13 bus loads of people. Okay. 13 bus loads of people at the community church of New York to go to the March on Washington. All right. That, that's how I was raised. I was raised to preach equality. I was raised equality, equality, equality. I was raised to go out of your way, go above and beyond for the black community. You know, not no. You need to do more for the black community. That's how my dad raised us. And now I am losing my career Because I say all lives matter, every single one, with the complete intent of every single one means every single race. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, you just mentioned them all. That's what's so appalling to me about... Not only my situation, but others that have been canceled that have the same viewpoint as me. Now, are there others, Clay, that have made comments like that are probably racist? Hell yeah. And if we, if we don't acknowledge that, we're being stupid and naive. But peel back the layers on each individual before you just totally cancel someone. I, that's the part that just is mind-boggling to me. So where do you go from here? Like what
4: happens now? Because I'm 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 kind of utterly fascinated by a situation such as this that happens. You've obviously started a podcast. I believe you've moved out of Sacramento. Correct. What do you want a big thing? Obviously, in life, is things happen and you continue to adjust your life as a result. What would you like for the result of your situation to be?
3: I want my name cleared. That's what I want. I want my name restored, and I know that's never going to happen. And uh, I mentioned later that that matters. That
4: matters a great deal to you that you are uh, that you have, uh, have been canceled, and that many people are willing to believe that that's a justifiable reason that you were canceled for. That you're racist. That you're a horrible human being. And after 32 years of TV, 26 years of radio, that still hangs over you. That, that is the number one thing that bothers you the most about losing your job.
3: Absolutely. I, I'm 100%. I told, my, I told my wife this. I said, you know, if, if I'm a racist, I hope every white person in America is racist just like I am because then racism won't exist. And that's how I feel. You know, I, I want my name restored uh, for, but by those that do use the term racist. You know, Matt Barnes came out on Twitter, Matt Barnes, can you believe this? And said, I'm a closet racist. And yet this is the same guy that when he last played in Sacramento had a weekly show with me. He would come on my radio show every week and then ask to play in my golf tournament, which we raised the money to send our kids to college and spent $7,000 at our auction. Okay? And yet I'm a closet racist and yet you're on the radio with me every week and you are playing in my golf tournament. I mean what? I mean I want, I want my name restored, okay? I want and I and again I know I'm being naive here, Clay, all right, because people are gonna believe what they want. I know who I am, I have no problem putting my head on the pillow at night. I've lost my entire career. And the one thing I really hope is that this doesn't happen to somebody else. And it already has, but I'm really praying that other people don't have to go through what I went through because it's just flat out wrong. And I'm not having a pity party. I'm not, I'm not crying on your shoulder here. The reality is that what's happening in America in 2020 with cancel culture is just flat out despicable. It's absolutely wrong.
4: Last question for you, DeMarcus Cousins, you said you didn't have a good relationship with you. Do you feel like he was trying to set you
3: up to get fired? At the time, I didn't even think about it, but in retrospect, yes, because I think he knows enough about my background and what I believe in. He knows about my relationships with other players, which are very good, my friendships with other players. He used to see me hanging out with other players. Um, I can only say yes. I don't know. That would be a question for him. But uh, in retrospect, um, I think uh, he, and I haven't talked about this publicly until just now, I think um, DeMarcus Cousins, Matt Barnes, and Chris Weber ganged up on me. And I think that they had issues with what I said. You know, Matt Barnes and DeMarcus Cousins, we had a game that was postponed in Philadelphia because of condensation on the court, and they were seen in the locker room with a bottle of Hennessy, and they put it out on Instagram and social media. And I went on my radio show, and I said, how stupid is that? Why are you broadcasting that? If, you, if you're going to drink, drink, but don't broadcast it. And then and then was a short period of time after they got into a brawl at a New York nightclub, and DeMarcus was on the sidewalk, unaware that somebody was videoing him on the phone, and he was bragging about the fight in the nightclub, and how Matt Barnes had you know, punched this girl, and And I, so what, am I going to go on the radio show and ignore that? And that's their way of getting back at me. And if you want to get back at me, that's fine, but don't call me something that I'm not. Those, those individuals know who I am. They know everything about my background, uh, and, 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 how, and how, what, how hypocritical is that? You're going to come on my radio show every week, and you're going to play in my golf tournament, and then, because I said something bad about you, you. clay i don't know how you feel about this we as white broadcasters in america should be able to criticize a person of a different ethnicity and not be called racist okay i can't do my job properly if i'm on my radio show and i can't criticize a black athlete a white athlete a hispanic athlete that doesn't mean that i have bias against you i criticize all races. I criticize athletes based on how they're performing or not, coaches, how they're doing, how they're not. Has nothing to do with their ethnicity. I don't sit there and go, gee, you know what? That individual is black, so let me rip him. Let me criticize him on the air. That never even enters my mind. That's not how I operate. But unfortunately, in 2020, if you're a Caucasian broadcaster in America and you criticize an African-American athlete, there are those that are automatically insinuating that you're racist. How awful is that, Clay? Seriously, how sad is that?
4: Well, I think it just builds on identity politics in general, right? And, and and this is to me why identity politics and cancel culture are in many ways connected because the goal of anyone, in my opinion, if you are in a business where you're looking and trying to, to decipher who's good, who's bad, and that's basically the, the opinion business of sports in general, right, should be to be as completely fair and transparent and equal to everyone as you possibly can be, right? Right. And so this idea that we should have different standards for how we talk about people based on what they look like or based on their identity, things that they cannot control, is inherently, at its most basic level, racist, right? I need to be able to talk, and you need to be able to talk, whether it's white, black, Hispanic, or Asian. Everybody has to be able to talk to each other as individuals, not as individuals who have an identity first, right? And so this is why my analogy has been, that, that I think is, is, is interesting. I don't care. We, we see all the time now on television. People say, uh, as, a, uh, as a Hispanic transgender woman, I believe, right, people will say things like that. All of that I don't care about. Your argument is either good or bad based on the quality of the argument, not based upon the identity behind which you are standing. And I, I take it back all the time to, it reminds me of royalty, if you remember, if you study history at all, people used to say they had the divine right of kings, and so people who were noblemen or people who were uh, in positions of prominence in Europe back in the days of feudal realms, they would say, "As the third Lord, you know, Monterey of the Mount Botton, you know, and the Vice Chancellor of," they put all these huge list of uh, assignations before their name, and then they would say, "I believe." Well, my thing is, I only care about the quality of your argument. I don't care about everything that you're using as justification for why your opinion matters. You either have a good opinion rooted in facts that sound and factual and, and, and worthy of, of respect, or... Or you have a bad opinion and what you look like shouldn't impact what that opinion is. And so I think the identity politics era has created the cancel culture era. They're intertwined. And I think they're both, uh, frankly, not popular, right, because they all connect to the politically correct universe, which overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, a huge percentage of people of all different backgrounds reject them. And I like to think that at some point, cancel culture is going to explode and feed on itself. And uh, whether you're a comedian who people are going through and saying, oh, but you can't make that joke, uh, or whether you're somebody going through and saying, oh, my God, that tweet or that Instagram post or that Facebook post. I don't know why the first response is we have to cancel this person.
1: auto parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do it yourself and you can find what you need in store or online stop by o'reilly auto parts today or visit us at oreillyautocom slash two pros that's o'reilly slash two pros
6: hey guys it's ray from the bobby bone show here to tell you the national sales event is on at your toyota dealer making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new suv like an adventure ready rav4 let's go So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out amazing national sales event deals on RAV4s, Highlanders, and more. Visit buyatoyota.com. That's buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, it's
1: Jonas Knox. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply.
4: it doesn't make sense to me.
3: Well, Again, look at Jack Nicholas. I did a rant on this a couple of weeks ago. He comes out and say he's voting for Trump, and you it, it was it, it was as if Jack Nicholas never existed and people were killing him. I, I went on my rant and said, you know, I don't really give a damn who you vote for. It doesn't matter to me. I, I'm a diehard New York Giants fan, season ticket holder. I don't care who the mayor and Tish's vote for. It makes no difference to me. I'm a fan of the team, but yet there are people out there that are just completely eliminating friendships, family members, or yes. who you vote for. I, I, it's mind boggling not to get off. But I watched what you said when you said you were voting for Trump. And what struck me so amazing is that you talked about who you voted for in previous elections. And I believe most of them were Democrats. And so you're, you're not just some guy that's on the far right, Republican, Republican, Republican. No, you're looking at each candidate and you're voting for who you think is the best person for this country. I respect that. Even if I don't agree with it, I respect that. And for you to lay it out the way you did and yet people still have a problem with that, that's sad. That's, that's, that's wrong. It's just flat out wrong. And uh, I know a lot of I have a lot of friends that told me that they ended long term friendships because of who they were voting for. And I'm scratching my head and I'm like, I don't get that you vote for who you want. I vote for who I want. We can have an adult conversation. And at the end of the day, I respect you. I sure as hell hope you respect me. And we move on and we put our arms around each other and we try to make our country better. Even if you are a Trump supporter or you're a Biden supporter, whoever you support. okay. at the end of the day, we're going to have a new president on January 22nd. And you know what? As Americans, we owe it to come together and try to make this country better. And that that doesn't exist anymore. And that is a real sad indictment on our children and our grandchildren that are growing up. What kind of country are we leaving them? It's awful. It's terrible. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific.
2: If I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour.
5: If you could find a way.
2: To get inside. Each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes.
5: Walk a mile in my
2: shoes.
6: Walk a mile in in my my shoes. shoes. We've all felt left out, and for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at
3: belongingbeginswithus.org, brought to you by the Ad Council.
5: Walk a mile in my shoes. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this... And connect with this. We reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.
4: This is Clay Travis. You're listening to the Wins and Losses Podcast. We're talking with Grant Napier. Grant, uh, one more time, where can people follow you if they want to reach out? Appreciate the time you spent on the show today and uh, hope it helps to get your story out there.
3: I appreciate it. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Grant Napier Show. I started my podcast in October. I've had some great guests. Charles Barkley was on one episode. It's if you don't like that, if you don't like that with Grant Napier. And Clay, I really appreciate it. Uh, it was a great conversation. I hope we educated others. And I really hope people become better from listening to conversations like this, because that to me is what it's all about.
4: Amen. I hope all of you think a little bit about this in the larger cancel culture environment that we have created. I hope this conversation makes things a little bit better. That's the goal, anyway. And I hope you enjoyed this as well. If you did, go rate us. Also, go listen at all of our other podcasts that are out there. We have a lot of great ones. I think you'll enjoy them. This is the Wins and Losses podcast without kick, and I'm Clay Travis. Oh, oh.